Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design. I'm so glad you're here. It's a new year, and we are newly inspired to bring you the best interior design business training podcast there is. I'm Kimberly Selden. I'm an interior design professional just like you. The holidays were way too short and we're right back in the middle of it again. So you're going to wonder, why the heck would Kimberly be suggesting we think about a business plan when we're already working? I know that's what some of you are going to think when you read this episode description, but I also know there are others out there who are currently working for someone else or working in a totally different industry, and they are also thinking of launching a business. And in both cases, yes, even you with a 15-year business, really might benefit from a business plan. We've said it before, but I think my guest today says it best. Episode 147, Business Plan Benefits with Bob Minas. Bob is a 15-year entrepreneur, and at one point he lost everything and had to completely restart his life and return to the workforce in a new way. And since then, his purpose has been to help other aspiring corporate nine-to-fivers and those who are doing a side hustle thing pursue entrepreneurship without making the same mistakes he did. And the mistakes he made were some of the same mistakes that I made. Didn't have a proper business plan. That will clear up a lot of the mistakes. Um, Didn't have a mentor or a trusted advisor. And I know some of you use me as your mentor, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. I learned way more from you than you learned from me, that's for sure. Others use Business of Design's business training program as a mentorship, and that's awesome. We need each other. We're stronger together, and you're going to hear that message from Bob for sure. But both Bob and I launched our careers in the middle of a recession, and we fell into entrepreneurship, not so much because it seemed like the supreme calling, but it seemed like the only thing to do when we couldn't get a job anywhere else. Bob will share why he thinks a business plan, whatever stage you're at in your business, is a really good idea. And it's an opportunity to remind you of some important business of design principles as well. Interview your existing clients. They are a wealth of information. If you want to know what they dream about, what they want, what their pain points are, that's the best way to do it. I'm looking forward to having one of my clients on the podcast sometime soon in this new year, and I will be doing that very thing with her live. It also allows you to clarify who that ideal client is, and then you can focus your marketing efforts. You can focus your networking efforts. And you can narrow your focus to that ideal customer, which means you can charge a premium for what you do. There's a really interesting part of the podcast right at the end where Bob talks about pricing. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And finally, he talks about testing your offers out. If you think you know what your value is, what your offer is, then by all means, run it by people who are either your ideal clients or people who you want to be your ideal clients to find out if you're actually scratching the itch they have. 
just great, solid business advice on this episode. So that's coming up. Cheryl has a sick kiddo at home, so she's not here to do announcements. I'm going to keep them really, really short because I think there are three seats left for the conference. January 25th, 26th, Las Vegas market. I know that will sell out. I hope you're going to be one of those people who grabs those last three seats. I cannot even describe the value of what we are providing at the conference. You will leave with a section of an operations manual that has taken 25 years to build and is field tested. You will be able to take my operations manual, remove my logo and add yours and make it your own. I would have paid thousands and thousands of dollars for even a small portion of the operations manual. So everybody coming to the conference is leaving with a section of that. You're leaving with a checklist on how to order custom furniture without making a mistake. That's a big deal. That also took years and years to figure out and costly, costly mistakes, by the way. You're leaving with a process for hiring, for progressive discipline, for firing. We'll be talking about sales and confidence and a value proposition that will remove you from the thick of the competition you're currently in. If you are willing to just open your mind to new possibilities, I guarantee this will be the very best money you have ever spent. I guarantee this will be an incredible investment that pays dividends for years to come. So join us for the conference, January 25th, 26th in Las Vegas, $1,395 is money that's a write-off and you will earn it back immediately when you get back to the office and implement even a fraction of what we'll be teaching. We're also going to have some fun. Thank you, Build Lane, for hosting a cocktail party on Sunday evening. So don't give it another thought. Jump on a ticket Come and meet your peers. Come and meet those industry peers who are serious about interior design as a profession. Hashtag design is my business. We're going to jump right into the episode, but I am going to give you a little preview of podcast moments to come. I will be interviewing a lawyer about the problem we're all having in various states and provinces and countries procuring product and trades on behalf of clients. We don't have all the answers in the podcast that's coming up, but we certainly have some great information to share with you. And I have officially retained a lawyer to help me figure out a workaround. So if you're one of those people like me who wants to control the whole project top to bottom, because you know that's what is best for the client and it's what is best and most profitable for you, you're going to be excited that I'm spending this money on a law firm to work this out. I promise to share everything with all of you. Happy New Year. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. 
Annual members save two months. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Now, I feel like I should know you because I've watched you on social media for years, but we've not actually met. We've, we, okay, so we've not met in person. So years ago, in a previous company, uh, I did work with some HDTV celebs, right? I did work with uh, Scott McGilvery and did some work with Brian Ballmer. So we in- inevitably would sort of cross paths, uh, again, not in real life, just in social. But I will tell you, this is an embarrassing, it's not embarrassing, it's a bit of a fan story. I will tell you, you were my first celebrity social media follower. Like you were the first celebrity to follow me on Twitter ever. Um, and I celebrated with cake that night. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That so is too funny. Every, uh, everyone that I've worked with in the past through HGTV, you're the one I always remember most because, which again, sounds really fan-like, but it was because you're my first Twitter celebrity follower and I, I was totally stoked. Oh my God. That's so cute. I love it. Okay. Well, good. Well, it's nice to finally get a chance to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've learned that some of our listeners are currently owners of their own businesses and may or may not have done all the things you need to do or should do to launch your business successfully. And then there's another faction of listeners who maybe they're working in a corporate environment right now. Maybe they're working in a totally different related industry and they're thinking, I really want to have my own business. So Let's talk about how to launch a business with real intention and real power. And can you make it an easier process for all of us? Yeah. uh, You know, I think one of the main things to do that even existing business owners, whether in design or or any other industry, uh, tend to forget to do is this idea of some sort of business plan. And I never want to make people feel like they have to do a large 80 page document that's meant to be performed in front of Dragon's Den or anything like that. Really, a plan is uh, some basic questions. So if you're working right now, what's your exit strategy? Um, If you want to start a design business, who are you going to design for? So I think a lot of designers have amazing talents and amazing gifts. But the idea is, is there a certain part of the market or a group of people that would really, really benefit from design? And and how do you find them? And how do you communicate with them? Yeah, that would have been a really good question to have asked myself years ago. And there is a designer I'm thinking of who I know well now, who's extremely Mm -hmm. successful. And he did Mm -hmm. take that first step of figuring out who he wanted as as an ideal client. And the result was Mm -hmm. he created a website that speaks only to that client. His marketing spoke Mm -hmm. only to that client and he has been successful. So whether or not you're currently working for yourself, it's not too late to clearly define who that is. So everything else can be on target. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Did you do that from the beginning when you launched your business or did you, did you do what I did and make quite a few mistakes along the way? I did what you and I and many, many other passionate entrepreneurs did. And it's just, you winged it. High five. uh, (laughs) Yeah, high five. When I started, I started uh, as what's called a forced entrepreneur. So the idea that I lost a job and I couldn't find a job. And my thought was, hey, why not start a business? You know, back in the recession, seems like an easy idea. So the, the idea was <clears throat> just start a business, get it going, get customers. 
And you're right, we make a lot of mistakes. And the, the thing here, Kim, really, and what really drives me is we make a lot of mistakes that affect us financially, but then it bleeds into our relationships and it bleeds into our, our self-esteem and our core. And so one of the reasons why I do what I do now is, you know, how do we avoid those mistakes by making some simple, t- taking some simple actions uh, from, from home? So circling back then to this idea of a business plan, if, if there were like five questions I need my business plan to answer for me, what would those five questions be? Well, I, I think when it comes to five main arenas to look at, so instead of questions, let's say let's look at five different things you can do that really evolve a business plan. So the first, first is always going to come down to market research. And, and the first step with market research is tough for a lot of designers because designers are very gifted and they're very creative. And sometimes market research takes a bit of really boring number looking. <laughs> so, you know, to make it a bit more palatable, I often tell people, start with just looking at what's trending and what's happening in design. More than just what colors are, are popular this season, but what's happening in the next five years in design, especially as it relates to technology. That's, some, that's what we call secondary market research. Uh, and then primary market research is just talk to people and say, hey, you know, find the people that you want to work with or that you have worked with and say, hey, what do you love about design? What is it about the process or um, going through a a design uh, in your home or in your business? What is it you love and what do you want more of? What do you want less of? What are the annoying and tough parts about design? And and it's really that market research really helps you build what I call an offer or a product um, that that it's, it's really clear and it's really, really easy to get out there. I understand the idea of the primary and the secondary research. Uh, the secondary mm-hmm. research makes a lot of sense to me. I'm going to look at what big money companies are doing in the arena of interior design. So the furniture companies, the paint companies, the fabric companies, what are they betting on? What's happening in the market that they are putting all of their effort into? Because there's a pretty good bet that they spent money on market research before they made those decisions. Uh-huh. So that's one clue. The tougher thing for me is the primary research. The primary market research is not so much done with other interior designers, but actual potential customers. And so the idea is talking to people that you've either worked in the past with or going into your network and talking to people who have experience design in some form and asking them what they enjoyed about the design process, what they what was difficult for them about the design process and really asking them what more would they want from a design process. So market research needs to be really simple. The questions don't need to be overwhelming. They definitely don't need to be directional. It's just a conversation, Kimberly. It's just having a conversation with saying, hey, Jane, I know that you had your main office redesigned last year. Can I ask you some questions about what that experience was like? That's all primary market research needs to be. It doesn't need to be a sophisticated list of 20 questions with numbers and statistical data at all. But you may need to reach outside of your closest friends and network if those closest friends and network associates are not your ideal customer that you have your eyeball on. So I'm thinking of like Mm -hmm. maybe you're living in a neighborhood that's a really lovely middle-class neighborhood, but you have a hankering to do more high-end design. You've got Mm -hmm. to speak to those customers, right? So are there any tips for people to make contact with people they don't know to get that kind of information? How would you do that? That's a really great question, Kimberly. Um, When it comes to really honing in on who it is you do want to serve and who you need to talk to, that's the second part of what you need to build out for your business plan, and that's customer persona. 
So yeah, if you live in a really middle-class neighborhood with some great people, but they're not your ideal client, your goal is to try and find people that meet certain demographics, which are statistical characteristics like uh, gender, job type, area, et cetera, and psychographics. So people that think or feel a, a certain way, their personality type. And to find those people, uh, it's a lot easier in today's world than it used to be. You're really going to use things like social media or LinkedIn. Um, you're really going to look at other people that do what you do that already attract those people. And, and the objective really is to find out where those people are and how you can communicate with them, whether they're online in a Facebook group, whether they attend a regular meetup. And it's just talking to them and saying, hey, have you ever had design done in the past? Or obviously, if you've had design done in the past, can I ask you about that experience? So um, again, to really, really reiterate what your point that you're making, as long as you can really identify those demographic um, characteristics of who you want to serve and those psychographic personality traits, it's just a matter of finding them either online or in real life, whether it's uh, through certain groups or certain events, et cetera. It occurs to me that you might be able to approach retailers who sell products that would appeal to the demographic you think you want to work in, and maybe it's easier to get to them in terms of asking those market research questions. Hey, I'm considering launching an interior design business, and I would love to be able to sell a ton of your product, so tell me who your ideal customer is, and let me see if that sounds good to me, right? That's a really great point. That definitely, definitely will help. So if there's a retailer or if there's a product designer that really fits with what you like to do, you're absolutely right. If they're willing to be open and share, um, that's a great place to start as well. Okay. So you've, you've done your market research to the best of your ability and that was, that's number one, right? And then number two, you said is what? Is really establishing that customer persona. So these are finding the people with the right demographics, and psychographics of who you'd like to have as customers. You mentioned off the top of the show that you knew me from my days on HGTV. And one of the things that I learned that was so valuable to me, when you're on television, don't try to speak to everybody. Speak to one uh -huh. person. Think of who's at the other end of the television, someone you love and you really connect with and have a conversation uh -huh. with that person. And that changed everything for me. I went from being sort of stiff and uncomfortable to thinking, wow, you mean I'm having a conversation with someone I want to hang out with all the time, you know? Exactly. And in a way, that's kind yeah. of what you're saying, right? Like really put some flesh and bones on this customer so you get who they are and you'll know them when you see them. You're absolutely right. It's really about building a profile or persona. You're basically building a person. And the more characteristics like demographic, Again, gender, age, mar are they married? Do they have kids? The more characteristics you can really hone in on, the more you can really figure out how do you want to talk to these people. And psychographics are just as important because when you're really trying to figure out why this person is a really great client for you and why you can serve them to the best of your ability as a designer, you're really trying to dig into things. You're either trying to dig into what's called a pain point. So where are they struggling and how can your solution help them? Um, or you're really looking at a vision point. So in the case of designers, uh, typically a, a client that's an ideal client has some kind of idea or vision of what they want to achieve, but they can't quite get there. They don't really know the steps, so they don't have the access to resources as a designer might. So as a designer, when you're talking to that perfect uh, demographic and psychographic, how can you build a vision for them? How can you really, really articulate that? 
And just as you said before, when you really know who you're talking to, visions will change, right? How a 22-year-old millennial uh, imagines a room would probably be very different than a 62-year-old uh, male who's just retired from his, his office. So it's really, really important uh, to be able to communicate that. You are. You're building a person. And by the way, Kimberly, that person may evolve over time. In fact, it probably will. Mm -hmm. As you as a business owner grow and develop, you're probably going to find that your ideal client is going to evolve and develop. So don't be afraid to move with that as well. You mentioned the pain point. And one thing I have observed over the years is designers frequently hear clients' pain points mm -hmm. in terms of receiving mm -hmm. interior design services, but they don't accept them. And what I mean by that is the client will say, oh my gosh, yeah, we did work with the designer, but um, it was so chaotic. We never knew when they were going to show up. We never knew what it was going to cost. We didn't know the timing. And I've seen so many designers go kind of like, yeah, yeah, but, and not really accept and really understand that that is what is losing customers. And so if you can't resolve the issues in that person's pain point, you're not going to enter the market any stronger than the other designers you're hearing about. Mm -hmm. An another really great point. Thank you, Kimberly. And I think what any business owner does besides just designers is we forget to empathize with that pain point. So it's one thing to hear that pain point and use that data to better build your business, but empathize with it. Feel what it's like um, understand when someone says it was chaotic, I didn't know what was going on. Imagine what that would be in your life. And for any business owner, but especially designer, you'll find that you'll be able to develop parts of your service that will help overcome that a lot easier than just ignoring it, for sure. Excellent. Okay, there's a number three, I assume. Mm -hmm. So once you've really figured out who it is you want to talk to, and once you've figured out where they've said they're struggling and what the pain points are through market research, you really need to figure out what your offer is going to be. For a designer, that might seem like, well, I'm offering design services, but you know, how do you differentiate yourself from all other designers? Or when you look at services that uh, might seem like design but aren't design, uh, sometimes a consumer might confuse designing, decorating, and staging. So how do you really articulate what a designer can do and what you can do for that particular demographic and psychographic? That's important. So that offer can be a variety of different things, but it needs to have uh, something that resolves their vision, that gives them that vision, or resolves their pain point. Ooh, I think designers are really good at resolving visions, but I'm going to say, I'll speak for myself, I wasn't as good mm -hmm at accepting the client's pain point until I really was flat on my back and just couldn't go another step further and I had to actually listen. So are you saying that at this point, if you could actually lean into that pain point and kind of build a business that addresses that specific challenge and speak to the customers who've had that challenge? Absolutely. This is what we call the value proposition. And this is really what gets you separated from all of the other designers uh, in your industry. It, it, it's what creates raving fans of customers. And when you figured that out, and when you've really honed and articulated in onto that, what ends up happening is it's almost like magic, Kimberly. Instead of you having to pound the payment looking for people, referrals just come in left, right, and center because mm -hmm. you found, you found a, a, I'm going to say a niche, but you found a solution to a problem that either no other designer has found or no other designer has really clearly articulated. A good example might be if you have a customer saying, the, the chaos is too much for me, I can't handle it. Well, what if you're a designer that actually uses some sort of project management tool like Basecamp? 
And so you're able to communicate effectively with the client or have your team communicate effectively with the client in one central location. So that's an example of how listening to a pain point can help you create an offer that's unique from everyone else. Okay, excellent. Once you've sort of gotten this far, are you ready to launch? Are you ready to just well, put the shingle out? <laughs> There's a couple more things that we really want to start working on before we, as you said, put the shingle out. And that's really understanding what, once you have a, a clear offer that you're, that you're providing people, you really need to articulate what the pricing of that offer is going to be. So generally as business owners or as entrepreneurs, we tend to just follow pricing of the market. And although that's great, again, it doesn't really differentiate you, right? So when you look at what your pricing is going to be, there's two things you want to look at. So obviously, you're going to look at the pricing of the market, but you're also going to look at the costs that are being incurred. And I think as business owners, we forget to consider costs that aren't hard costs. It's really easy to look at the cost of paint, to look at the cost of furniture, um, but we forget to look at the cost of our time. And we forget to look at the cost of um, bringing in other people or bringing in other trades. Um, sometimes we forget to look at the administrative costs of taxation. So it's, it's really important to understand what your costs are to provide the offer that you're going to offer this person. So, for example, we had said earlier that if you were going to use a project management tool, what's the cost of that tool for every user? And making sure that you, you, you're aware of that cost when you're establishing that price. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing you really want to get into is more than what the market is currently charging, what's the real value of your offer? So if you found a way to get design into someone's home or into someone's business um, in, a, in a smoother way than anyone else has in the past, there's an extreme value for that. Let's go back to pain point. You're, you're, you're resolving a pain point that they couldn't have resolved before. So there's value in that. So instead of just charging what the market charges, you might have a premium service there. Um, so look at what that pricing is going to be. And that's where market research comes in. When you have that pricing set, talk to people again. Say, hey, if I had an offer that did this and it was this much money, would that be of value to you? Would that be something you're interested in? And once you do that, you'll start to hear what are called objections. You'll hear things like, yes, I love that. Or you'll hear things like, well, does it include this? I'm not sure about this. So you start to hear uh, smaller versions of a pain point. So it's not as dramatic as a main pain point. But you hear things that you hear people saying, well, this one's a bit of a gap, or I'm not sure if I would invest in this. Those objections allow you to go back, use your market research, and really continue to craft the offer and the pricing. So when you actually launch, you're not trying to uh, guess if this is going to do well. You have verified and validated that people who are your demographic and psychographic love it. This reminds me of improv, where you're only allowed to accept every offer that comes your way and say yes, right? And one of the things I did when I was younger, if a client had objections, I would try to convince her, her she was wrong for being concerned about that, or I would try to explain it away in some fluffy manner. But now I know that if I really accept those objections and I take them to heart and I run a business that can circumvent those problems, I can convince that customer I'm the right person to work with. Yes, absolutely. That's a really great point. And understand the more objections you hear and the more evolved your product becomes or your offer becomes, the less objections you're going to hear. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That does mean that you've found a really great rhythm in your design business. And it means that people start coming to you or start coming to you. I've definitely had that experience. Um, I'm, I uh, work with designers 
you know, literally all over the world now. And when I'm asking them about their value proposition, they so frequently will say, well, we make beautiful rooms. And I'm like, that is not a differentiator. That's a starting line. (laughs) So what's the differentiator? It could be that you're an expert in building for wellness and health. And maybe that's, you know, really important or accessibility. In my case, I guarantee delivery on time on budget. That's a big deal. And clients will pay a premium for that. So I really get this. And I, if I had only had this conversation, you know, 30 years ago, that would have been amazing, but we're having it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are really, really great points. And I think um, when you invest that time and you do that work, it, it, it does not only end up saving you a lot of money, it saves you a lot of heartache because being an entrepreneur has a lot of amazing qualities. But I'll tell you, and Kimberly, you can attest to this, it also can have a lot of heartache and, and it could break some people who end up giving up on their dream and returning to the workforce. So we've talked about market research and we've talked about finding the perfect client. We've talked about really, really honing in on what your offer is going to be, your value proposition, and how you'll figure out pricing for it. But what's really, really important is actually testing all this out, right, Kimberly? So you have all of these great concepts. You've validated it with people who said, yes, I'll do it. But now you need to ask people for money. And that's what's going to really, really hone in on what your, uh, how great your offer is. And we call this the beta group and measurements. So the idea is you've figured out what you want to do. You've ideally found some great clients because you've, you've leveraged them for market research. Now you're actually going to go back and provide them the offer. But more than just provide them the offer, you're going to love them to death. So you're going to make sure that they are enjoying every experience of the process. You're going to continue to get that feedback and you're going to measure the results. Now, design might be hard. The design as a result is hard to measure, but customer happiness, customer experience, Um, working with certain trades, you mentioned delivery times earlier, all of the nuances that go into delivering your offer and executing your offer, you want to measure things that are working and things aren't working. This is also the best place to validate the costs that you presumed in your pricing. So earlier you said, earlier we said, this is going to be my cost to deliver this offer. Now you're verifying it. Were there shipping costs you didn't uh, track for before? Were there other costs or different tax levels you weren't uh, aware of and now you're being made aware of. So doing a beta group and really measuring it before creating a full website and launching everything as a full offer really, really, really helps you hone in even tighter. And the best part, Kimberly, about this process is you're still charging for it. I would never tell a designer to offer their services to a beta group for free. You still want to ask for money in return. And whether you want to discount it or whether you want to charge the regular rate but add additional value, that's up to you. But this is a great, great opportunity to prove everything that you've verified in your market research, your persona, establishing your offer, and really verifying pricing and any other objections. There's a world of difference, right, between it working in theory and it working on the job with a real-life client. So I think that's great advice. And it, I have a client who's um, coming on the podcast. It's not the first time I've done this. I interviewed a client previously, but I had a client who um, I just adored. I asked her if she'd be on the podcast, and now I realize I can beta measure her, right? I can check in on all of the points you talked about and say, how are we doing I'm crazy to do that publicly, yeah. but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think, well, first of all, again, here's me fanning out. I don't think you have anything to worry about, Kimberly, but uh, it is, it's a really great way to get uh, constant feedback. And you know what else works in the beta group and measurements mode is you're delivering to these clients. You're making sure the experience is great. 
they're more than, more than likely to give you testimonials. They're more than likely to give you the referrals and they're more likely to be really great case studies to put on your website. So even if you're a new designer or if you're an established designer that maybe is moving into a different direction with what you're doing, this is a great way to get uh, feedback that you can publicly share so that when you approach customers uh, on a regular basis, you're actually actually proving to them, look, I've, I've, you're proving to them that you've delivered on what you said. I didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, but Bob, one of the things that you provide for people is a smooth transition from corporate the corporate world into owning your own business. You have a program for that. I do. I have a, it's a 12-month program called No Risk Launch. And the way the program works is we tend to work with people who are in the corporate setting, who are in a nine-to-five corporate job, who, you know, they might not be happy in their job or they may just not be fulfilled. And I do meet a lot of creative people, especially designers, who are working in institutional roles or government roles, and they're not exploring the full breadth of what they can do. So I created this program so that we can help them with an exit strategy to go from uh, working corporate and building this business as a side hustle into full-time entrepreneurship. And when you follow a process that's mapped out, developed, tested, and proven, it, it mitigates and eliminates pretty much any risk that can come up. Now, I'm not saying it's perfectly without risk because without risk, you're not really exploring entrepreneurship. Um, but it, it's definitely a process that we've had a number of clients experience and enjoy. Uh, and and you know, the results are phenomenal. It's built on my 15 years of, of successes and failures. <laughs> it's, and it's also uh, built on the idea that um, building a business doesn't have to be done alone. Failures are the best educators of all, right? I've learned more from the things that I've wiped out on than the things I've succeeded at, that's for sure. Let's talk a little more about pricing because the one thing we really don't want to be is a commodity where people are just shopping online and comparing one designer's price to another and thinking they're getting the same thing. So is there any rationale for charging more, charging less? What are the things you need to think about as you're setting those initial fees? So again, a really great question. So when it comes to pricing, you're looking again at those two things. You're looking at what the market has and the value uh, the value of your offer. Some advice I would love to give, Kimberly, is I, I always recommend to any business owners, but especially designers, because it's such a creative uh, role, uh, never be the cheapest person in the industry. And I call this dollar store branding. And I say that because when you try and enter the market at a discounted rate or at a, at a less expensive rate, just to try and onboard clients, you become the dollar store and you don't really build value and client loyalty. So I always recommend when starting a business, once you've, especially in design, once you've looked at what the market will bear, you're going to start your pricing at the, at the very least at the same level of where your market is. And I meet a lot of young designers who are fresh from school who get a little nervous about that, but that's why you build the beta group is because it allows you to really establish what the value, we call it a value stack, all of the things you're offering in your design offer to, char- to charge for that rate. Now, that being said, there's no reason why you couldn't charge a premium for offers that your competitors aren't giving, a premium for perhaps you have a a specific delivery guarantee like you do. You can charge premiums for so many variety of different things as long as it addresses a pain point. So to charge a premium, there needs to be some kind of resolution to a pain point or vision that either no one else is doing or no one else is doing well. There might be other competitors who are trying to do what it is you do, but if you're delivering it 100% on time every time, that premium is totally, totally fair to charge. 
I love that. I hope everybody's just taking that in. You start where the market is. You don't price yourself as a beginner because you're just broadcasting to the whole world. I don't know what I'm doing. And the other thing Mm -hmm. that I found in my experience, the higher my rate got, the better I got at the job because I had to be better. I had to step up and perform. So by starting at the market level, I think you're saving yourself years of grief by not having to work with clients who are shopping the dollar store. And, and that's a great point, right? You really start validating and honing in. So you know where your demographics and psychographics are. But the more your price premium increases, the more you're getting people who are, who are desperate to work for you, who want to work for you. They are your advocates. And honestly, no matter what business you're in, even design, not every day is going to be perfect. So if you can show up to a job site with a client that loves you and hugs you because they're so excited to work with you, that in itself, because you've developed it through your pricing, that in itself makes entrepreneurship worthwhile. Bob, we end every show with something we call design intervention, which is just the best bit of wisdom you've ever been given in terms of running your business. So what comes to mind? Um, you know, the best part the best piece of wisdom I could offer, and I think you're, you're a priming, prime example of this, Kimberly, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in, but even in a creative economy such as design, you need to have a mentor and a tribe of five. I call a tribe of five those people around you that support you, but that, you, that push you, that help you to grow, that, that you can learn from. And I think when we become complacent and comfortable with the people around us, we need to look again at, at who our tribe of five is. So the best piece of advice, whether startup or whether you've been in a design business for 20 years, is always, always look to grow with mentors, with coaching, and definitely, definitely your tribe of five, those people around you that support you and continue to push you. Tribe of five is cool. It sounds like a phone plan or something. Where's that from, tribe of five? <laughs> you know what? Now that I think about it, it might be an, <laughs> an old plan. Of the old but for me, it comes from the idea that I'm always ensuring um, who those five people are around me every day, who are when I get up in the morning, who are the five people that spend, I spend the most time with? And the reason why that's important is because it's those five that are setting my intentions, setting my motivation, setting my vision. Um, the name itself, I, I want to say I made up, but you're right. It could come from somewhere else. But always, always, always have five people around you that can continue to help you grow, push, develop. And, and, and it's the same that you can provide them with that same kind of love and I love it. That's amazing. So we're so lucky in the business of design community because there's a lot more than five of us. But you do. It's right. If you're going to play tennis, you want to play with people who are good at tennis, better at tennis than you are. So you learn and so you grow. So great advice, Bob. Congratulations. And I hope things continue to be super successful for you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm grateful. Thank you for being a part of the business of design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.